today on Better News Radio with Pastor Ricky Elcantar. Love is grounded in our identity in Christ. So Paul tells us to be imitators of God, to act the way God does, but he ties this to our identity. Do you see that? Therefore, be imitators of God, comma, as beloved children. I don't think I can overemphasize this as a pastor. Your relationships with others must start with you being grounded in your identity in Christ first. Open God, oh my soul, He is strong and He's strong to save. Open God, He's a rock in your hiding place. He's a mighty fortress. The reason that believers are called the salt of the earth and the light of the world is because of their holy conduct. Holiness in Christ is what makes you stand out in a dark world as a believer. Pastor Ricky will be teaching a new chapter today that will be primarily talking about our love towards God and our love towards others. Jesus said, if you love me, you will obey my commands. When you genuinely love God, you will obey his commands and become holy and set apart unto God. Let's join Pastor Ricky in the book of Ephesians chapter 5 verse 1 for part one of our message entitled, Holiness in Christ. Now, I want to give a qualification before I jump in this morning. This is not usual, and if you saw the weekly bulletin, you saw a a warning go out sort of to parents that said, hey, we're going to be talking about issues related to sexual immorality and lust and pornography, and so just kind of be aware of these things. Um, I'm not going to be explicit about these, but I'm going to acknowledge that those things exist and talk about how God's Word interacts with those things, but I want to, I want to make a couple points real quick. First is this, that we preach the Bible expositionally because it forces us to confront topics that are uncomfortable. If you've ever wondered why we preached through the whole book of Ephesians and didn't just kind of sample the book of Ephesians, it's this reason, that there are certain topics, even I as a pastor, feel weird standing up in front of a group of, a large group of people and talking about, right? It's just a little uncomfortable to be in a room where we talk about this like this. Now, that's okay and that's good because we're in a safe place. We should be in, the safe, in a safe place in the church. The second thing is this, that I think we as a church need to be aware and open about struggles in this area. We need to be willing to confront one another about these things, but we also need to be willing to give grace to one another and help one another in these things. So as we kind of move into this, let's really come together at the foot of the cross, no self-righteousness, no, I'm better than that person. Give ourselves the freedom that in Christ we can be honest about our struggles and get help, okay? Now, what's interesting about this passage to me, first off, is knowing that in verses three through uh, kind of six, actually three through 14, Paul is gonna talk about lust and sexual immorality, that in chapter five, verse one, he doesn't start there. Because we know in the book of Ephesians, chapters one through three are sort of all about the theology of being in Christ, and chapters four through six are all about the, how, the practical outworkings of being in Christ. And what you'd think is that he would just give you a list of commands, like don't do this, don't do that. But what he does not do is launch right into, hey, stop sleeping around, okay? Cut it out, period. He starts with chapter five, verse one, therefore be imitators of God as beloved children. 
This is, this is so important, church, because if we're going to recognize the counterfeit version of this, Paul says, look, you need to see the real thing first. You need to see what your life is supposed to be like in Christ first so I can contrast this with the world around us. Now, I remember um, as, a, as a boy being in Mexico, either at the Mercado in Juarez or uh, at the Mercado, we'd go sometimes to Mazatlan with my uh, grandparents. And I remember walking around the Mercado and seeing things like Nike sunglasses, right? The same ones like from the store. And I remember, you know, being a kid and thinking, oh my gosh, these prices are amazing, right? There would be like, you know, bags, like Adidas soccer bags that I would think, $5. Like, this is like $50 in the store. I can't believe it. So I remember briefly one time going crazy and thinking, this is, this is unbelievable. Why doesn't everybody just come down here and buy all these things? This is amazing. So I bought my Nike sunglasses that were super cool, the same ones from the commercial, except that two weeks later they broke, Right as did pretty much everything I bought from that section of the Mercado, right? Now, everybody that's a good border resident knows this. Knows what? Not everything with a Nike logo is actually made by Nike, right? Am I, is that the truth, Moises? Okay, good. All right, so this is the dynamic of living in a world of real things and counterfeits. And so in order to help us with this, Paul says, you need to see what the real thing looks like. If somebody had told me this is the distinguishing characteristic of a pair of Nike sunglasses, it would have helped me tremendously. This is what Paul is doing. He says, therefore, be imitators of God as beloved Children and walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. Now, we learn three things about love in this passage. The first is this that love is grounded in our identity in Christ. So, Paul tells us to be imitators of God, to act the way God does, but he ties this to our identity. Do you see that? Therefore, be imitators of God, comma, as beloved children. I don't think I can overemphasize this as a pastor. Your relationships with others must start with you being grounded in your identity in Christ first. Your relationship with Christ has to be right, has to be lined up correctly, or your relationships to others are going to shatter. And Paul knows this. So he doesn't immediately start saying, hey, knock it out, knock it off. Just, just you know, keep your hands to yourself, be pure, that's it. He says, no, no, no. Here's what I want you to know first. You are beloved children. He's gonna say, he's gonna say just a, a second later, love others, but it starts with him saying you are loved, okay? Are you, are you guys catching that? And not just loved kind of in general, loved as beloved children. The picture here is that, that God himself is a good heavenly father that delights in his children, that loves to, uh, you think of a, of a new dad when their kid starts to learn to walk and they get to pick them up and swing them around and do dangerous things that scare your wife, you know, with the child because you love them and you get to do the first things. You get to, the, the first time you get to take him to a baseball game or to a basketball game or the first time you get to swing on the park and the joy that that brings you, that's the way Paul says God loves us. 
which is amazing because Ephesians tells us that we were once enemies of God. We were rebels. We loved sin instead of God and cut ourselves off from him, but God sent Jesus to be punished as a rebel in our place. And because of this, our relationship to God is restored. And, but here's the thing. Our relationship to God is not just restored sort of to a working relationship. I feel like far too many Christians have sort of a working relationship with God, right? So you get saved and then it's sort of like, hey, God, how's it going? You know, like an acquaintance at your workplace. Like, hey, God, what's going on? You know, thanks for saving me. And, and it's kind of a distance there. And Paul says, no, he doesn't love you and kind of restore you into a working relationship. He restores you into a, an affectionate father-son, father-daughter relationship. I still remember when my son, Ford, was born about a year and a half ago. It was when I became, uh, well, I was a dad before that, but I got to see him. And I remember him arriving and watching this little guy get cleaned up. And he was struggling with breathing at that time, so they had to kind of put him under this little dome. But I remember seeing this little tiny guy and just loving him. And my heart was hurting because he was hurting. And then later when he smiled for the first time, I never thought I could experience that much joy. But here's the thing. I didn't love him because he'd done anything to earn my affection. I loved him because I loved him. And that's the way God feels about us. He loves us because he loves us. And not only does he love us, he went to great lengths to win us back, to restore us to to being sons and daughters. And so this is what Paul wants us to think about as we think about how to imitate him. It's out of our identity as loved children of God that Paul calls us to love others. I don't know if you've noticed this, but kids who love their parents imitate everything they do. Uh, A a couple months ago, Ford started doing this thing where he'd get excited, where he'd go like this, like this, this stomping thing. And I remember all of, Jen and I were trying to, ask each other, did you, where did he see that? Who does this when they get excited? And anybody that has seen me preach before knows exactly where he got it, because I'll get excited, and I'll start going like this. And so Ford, when he gets excited, would get, it's like, leche time. He's like, yeah! And he's like running over to the leche like this, because he's watching. See, when we love, when a child loves a parent, he, that, that, that child wants to imitate them. There should be a natural thing where love leads to imitation. And this is what Paul is saying. When we know that we are truly loved by God and safe in him, we want to imitate him. But it starts with being secure and and in being loved. So here's the thing. Before I even talk about lust and all this other stuff, I need you to feel this, Christians. You need to be secure in Christ's love for you. You need to feel that. That needs to be a daily reality for you. Otherwise, it's just moral commands devoid of relationship. But when you know that God loves you and your heart loves him in return, there's a desire and a joy that comes from imitating him. So love is grounded in our identity in Christ. But second, love gives life to others. Paul tells us we are to walk in love in our relationships with others. Now, notice the order. You're loved, therefore you love others in response. So God love, God's love in a way goes to you, but doesn't stop with you. It flows through you. It rebounds to the people around you. And then 
Paul says, walk in love as Christ loved us. He makes this imitation more explicit because we're meant to ask, well, how did Christ love others? How did Christ love the people around him? He gave himself up to physical pain, to abandonment, to mockery, to every hurt for us. And we are to love others in that way. And that's only possible when we realize we've been loved, but when that happens, love flows to others. And third, love gives glory to God. Paul says that Christ's sacrifice, which we are to imitate, was a fragrant offering to God. So this is a picture from from the temple in the Old Testament where they would offer sacrifices and you could smell, if you've ever been to a, a barbecue or something, you could smell, oh man, that smells delicious. Or they would offer myrrh or frankincense or something that would, that would, be, that would be very, um, it'd be full of, of, of like flavor and, and richness and it would ascend. And so when you walked by the temple, there was this rich smell that would come off and it was meant to be sweet to the people of Israel. And in the same way, Christ's sacrifice pleased the Father. And in the same way, when we imitate the Father by loving others, it's, it's a fragrant aroma to God. God looks down and says, yes. Yes, I'm glorified. Yes, that's exactly the way my son loved people. Yes, that's exactly the way I love you. And he rejoices over us. So here's here's the point that you have to get before we go anywhere else. Secure in Christ, love gives. You start by being beloved by God, realizing you're secure in his love, realizing that he is all you need, realizing he fully satisfies you, realizing that he is what you long for. You're meant to be amazed at what he's done and then in response, give yourself radically to loving others. And when we do that, when Christ's love flows to us and through us to others, it also flows upward to Christ. And, and Christ rejoices over it and love flows to us. And it's just this amazing circle of, of fellowship and love. Think about it this way. Imagine a dad that has given his child everything and rejoiced over his child and loves his child. And the child's natural response is saying, dad, I wanna be like you when I grow up and imitating the dad. And when, when the father hears those words, how does the father feel? When the son says, dad, I wanna be like you. Oh man, something in your heart just goes. That's the way our relationships are supposed to work. And that as we love others, their hearts would be softened to the love of Christ and they too would be born again and pointed to the gospel and this would continue. And that's the way, friends, that God created the world to work. Doesn't that sound awesome? Wouldn't that be awesome to walk into a room where we all loved one another, that one of the thoughts in our mind wasn't, okay, what am I gonna get out of this? Are there any donuts for me? How soon can I leave? And, and why isn't there any football on? Who put the ice dancing on Sunday afternoons? And, and rather than thinking that, you're, you walk in thinking, how can I serve this person? Hey, there's that person. Oh, I wonder how their grandmother is doing. And, and yet people are coming up to you like that. Hey, how are you doing? I know this is a tough week for you. Doesn't that sound like a church you wanna go to, a place you wanna go to? That's what our relationships are meant to be, but sin ruins this. So we need to look now at the counterfeit, beginning in verse 3. Sexual immorality and all impurity or covetousness must not even be named among you as is proper among saints. 
Let there be no filthiness, nor foolish talk, nor crude joking, which are out of place, but instead, let there be thanksgiving. Now, three things about lust. First is this, that lust is grounded or begins in losing your identity in Christ. Now, I think it's helpful if we understand what he's talking about here. He, sexual immorality, this word for sexual immorality is any sex outside of marriage according to scripture. So in these days, it would have been common for lots of sexual immorality of all kinds to be going on. And Paul says, okay, all of that, no, no. Impurity means giving yourself, it's, it's this word that means giving yourself over to your sort of sinful, natural impulses, satisfying and gratifying yourself lustfully. And then covetousness is really sort of mentioned as the heart that leads to the other two things, that, that you want something that you don't have, therefore you give yourself up to impurity and give yourself up to sexual immorality. Now, I don't know about you, but oftentimes when I think of the Bible, uh, I think of these people sort of as bashful prudes. I don't know where this comes from, but it's almost like, oh, these people don't understand. They don't understand what it's like to live in our day. They don't understand what it's like to walk around. Paul would give us a break if he just understood, right? Well, in Ephesus, the city he's writing to, if you know the book of Acts, you remember that there's a huge religious cult around the goddess Artemis. Okay, there's a riot when Paul goes there to preach the gospel and he threatens the, the local economy because they make so many of these little Artemis statues. They're like souvenirs. It's like the Disneyland of Artemis, right? You remember that? And so they have a mob and they're yelling, uh, they're, they're yelling all of these things. Diana, Artemis, the same, same God, greatest Diana of the Ephesians. And they're whipping themselves up to a frenzy because they're afraid their way of life is gonna die. What you may not know is that God was a fertility goddess, you know how you worshipped, one of the ways you worshipped this God? Going to temple prostitutes and by having huge orgies. That was religion in that city. Can you imagine what depravity looked like? And in our culture, I don't think we're any better. A survey of 18 to 29-year-olds revealed that 88% of them have already had premarital, extramarital sex, uh, culturally, one in four searches on the internet and one in five searches on mobile phones are for pornography. More money is spent on it than, than country music, classical music, Broadway music, jazz music, and rock music combined. This culture has invaded every part of our society. It's not just certain styles of music that are like this. That we're talking uh, country music and pop music. We're talking movies. We're talking award-winning TV shows that people in formal attire clap for. We're talking commercials. We're talking ads. We're talking restaurants that cater to this. And inside the church, friends, we are sadly little better. A recent survey came out shocked me that, that said of those who identify themselves as evangelicals, somewhere between 70 to 80% of them have already had sex outside of marriage. And a very recent study said that 50% of men, and listen to this, 20% of Christian women say they are not just using pornography, but addicted to it. Now, in our relativistic culture, the question that we are constantly bombarded is, well, why shouldn't you do those things? 
okay? Why? It's natural, it's part of biology, give yourself over to that, just be responsible is sort of the mantra of our culture. And so we as Christians, unless we think differently, are gonna just think the same way. And I don't know about you, but I grew up in church. And so sometimes the basic biblical reason that, okay, God says no to these things, so don't do it. Sometimes we just stop there. Okay, well, God says no. I guess we can't do that because he doesn't want us to have any fun ever or do anything exciting because he's just that kind of a guy. Sometimes you get this impression from growing up in the church that you never go beyond that to ask, why does God forbid this? Which is crucial for us. See, here's what the Bible says. The Bible says that sex itself is not the problem. That God created it to be used to glorify him. And God created it not just for procreation, not just to guard us for sin, but if you read the Song of Solomon, you will find an open and free attitude about this gift, and it is a gift that would shock us. I mean, if you've ever wanted to be uncomfortable, just go read the Song of Solomon out loud by yourself, probably, rather not in your workplace, because you'll probably get reported. So go, if you ever wanted to make yourself uncomfortable, just go read that book by yourself somewhere, and you realize that God is not prudish when it comes to sexuality, okay? Sex is a good and amazing gift provided for us by God, and the reason that God hates these things mentioned here are that they are perversions of a good gift that he has made. Imagine somebody goes into one of the great art museums of the world, the Louvre or whatever, priceless art, centuries old, and some graffiti artist decides, I can do better. Because the Mona Lisa would be a hilarious existential statement if she had a mustache that I spray painted on her. The great statue David would be hilarious if he was painted in purple and orange. Now, the world would be shocked and angry and mad. Why? Because you care about the original. The original is beautiful and and as close to perfection as you can get. And to destroy it cheaply, there's something about it that that, that should shock us. And here's what's, we're going to get into this in a couple weeks, but marriage, the context for sexuality, was meant to be a picture of Christ and the church, just as we heard in the marriage conference recently. It's meant to be a picture of the way that Jesus loves his bride. And it's meant that certain things are meant to happen in marriage as part of that unique relationship that Christ displays in his self-giving love for the church. And so when we take this gift and we spray paint over it, that's why God has a problem with it. Not because he doesn't want you to have fun, but because he created something better than we think, more beautiful than we think, and it deserves to be more protected than we think. So why do we do this? Why would we, in essence, spray paint the Mona Lisa? Well, we've got identity issues. Open God, oh my soul, he is strong and he is strong to save. By grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. 
For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. These verses from Ephesians speak to who we are in Jesus and how we became one of his. Pastor Ricky will be taking us through the book of Ephesians, seeking the answer to the question, who am I? For more information, email us at radio at betternewsradio.com. Sometimes it is just easier to call. Our phone number is 915-562-7100. We'll be happy to help you. Again, that number to call is 915-562-7100. You can learn more about Better News Radio, Cross of Grace Church, and Pastor Ricky at our website, betternewsradio.com. All of Pastor Ricky's messages through the Bible are available to listen to or download for free at betternewsradio.com. You'll also find contact information, driving directions to the church, and details about activities and upcoming events on our website. We also encourage you to follow the Cross of Grace Twitter feed at Cross of Grace EP, where Ricky tweets additional thoughts about the messages you hear on Better News Radio. Or connect with us on Facebook at Cross of Grace EP. Well, that's all the time we have for today. From all of the production team here at Better News Radio, we want to say thank you for tuning in and please make plans to join us again for the next edition of Better News Radio.